0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Good morning. I just want to thank Pastor Ivan and Pastor Aaron for the privilege of sharing this pulpit this morning and the opportunity to share with all of you. Proverbs 31:25 says she is clothed with strength and dignity and she can laugh at the days to come. Well, that's one character trait that every mother needs is to be able to laugh. Not only to laugh at our children and with our children but to laugh at ourselves. So happy Mother's Day to everyone. This is a special day to honor you and I hope that you will be blessed by the love of those around you. This Mother's Day, I believe, like no other day, elicits many different emotions for people connected to memories, memories that are very precious to us. When I was ministering as a chaplain in prison, Mother's Day prompted the highest volume of card sales at the canteen, far surpassing Christmas. And I got many, many requests from segregation, from guys, could you please bring down a Mother's Day card so I could send a card to my mom. So how did all this Mother's Day celebration begin? Well, it goes way back to 1905. Anna Jarvis wanted to do something to memorialize her mother, whose name was Ann Jarvis. Ann was a simple Appalachian pioneer woman and she had started Mother's Work Days. This was an investment in time and energy that Mother's put into trying to improve sanitation and to end the disease that was spreading in the community. So as a result, when she passed away, Anna decided that she needed to memorialize her mom and her years of activism. So by May 1907, a Mother's Day service was arranged on the second Sunday of May at the Methodist Church in Grafton, West Virginia, where Mother Jarvis had taught Sunday school most of her life. At the same time, a service was held in the auditorium in Philadelphia, which could only seat a third of the 15,000 people that attended. This was an important day. And Congress in the United States finally recognized that So in 1914, they passed a resolution to institute Mother's Day and we followed the next year in Canada because sometimes we always seem to be a little bit behind to the states. So in 1915, it became official in Canada. So here we are today to celebrate. If I were to ask you today, what does it mean to be a mother? I think perhaps the responses would be quite varied. But here's what a group of mothers themselves had to say. It is praying for, hoping for, looking forward to, having your kids living out on their own, and then secretly trying to postpone the day as long as possible. It is carrying a sleeping child up the stairs to bed when you're so tired you can barely get up the stairs yourself. It is many thankless jobs sometimes it seems, fixing things, wiping up spills, doing mountains of laundry, sitting in emergency, while someone sets your child's arm after they climbed and fell from a tree that you specifically told them not to climb. It is holding the sobbing, broken hearted child while your own heart feels like it's going to burst into a million pieces. Being a mom means so much more than just giving birth to a child. It is loving and bonding with, knowing that soul within your body, even before you meet them. It is carrying and caring for a life completely dependent on you for survival. Someone said, a mother's love is the fuel that enables a normal human being to do what seems impossible sometimes. It is the best vocation in the entire world. And one mother said I would not trade it for anything or any amount of money. I think most of us moms feel like that. And final comment. No one tells you the hardest part of being a mother is when your children grow up and they leave home. And they're on the journey of their own life. And that is hard. I hope I can get through this today. (laughs) The Bible has given us many references to God in feminine and mothering metaphors, which are appropriate because we're all created in the image of God, both male and female. Jesus spoke in mothering terms in Matthew 23, 37 and Luke 13 when he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings and you are not willing. That mothering instinct Jesus was showing through his words. Isaiah 66, and I'm not sure if any of you have read this specifically and and noted it, but it is called the labor and delivery sermon. And it's the birth story of mother Zion. Verse 7 starts, Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen such things? Can a country be born in a day, or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Do I bring the moment of birth and do not give delivery, says the Lord? Do I close up the womb when I bring to delivery, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all you who mourn over her. For you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breasts. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. For this is what the Lord says, I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried in her arms and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, for you will be comforted over Jerusalem." This very feminine, intimate metaphor is speaking of a promise of a renewed and restored people of God following the Babylonian exile. It will make a great sermon for another day. Lots of our mothers can elicit many nostalgic memories, being held after having a bad dream, being cared for in times of sickness. I also was an intensive care and emergency nurse for 17 years. And when a sick child comes in and they're scared and they're hurting, mother is often the only person who can bring comfort and peace to the child. We may all remember favorite meals being prepared for us because mothers always know what each child's favorite food is, and those are special memories for us. For many, your mother has has been and still is your best friend through life, supporting you, believing in you, even when others don't. You know she's praying for you. My grandmother was a steadfast, quiet Christian woman When I was growing up as a girl, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and I used to stay there overnight. The whole top of their old house was one big room. So at the far end of the room was a little tiny cot with a little feather tick on it, and that's where I slept. But the thing I remember was seeing my grandmother on her knees beside her bed every night, praying, and every morning. (laughs) Um, I don't like to preach on Mother's Day, usually, because it's so emotional. (laughs) That spoke volumes to me. And when I was pregnant with my first child, she was the only person who came to me and said, I'm praying for you. A mother and a grandmother, they cherish children with abiding affection an affection that's easily recognized for anyone who takes the time to observe a mother interacting with her child at a special moment. Many artists have tried to capture the picture of this cherishing, but I'm not sure that anyone actually accomplished that. The author Robert Munch captures, in a few words, a mother's heart, and I've always liked this. Very simple statement. I love you forever. I like you for always, as long as I'm living. My baby, you'll be. But this special day, as already has been mentioned, must be an inclusive day for all mothers and mothering experiences. So it would be remiss to not acknowledge that for as many who have experienced a childhood with a loving, kind, involved mother who disciplined fairly and forgave freely, there are just as many who don't share that experience, I'm afraid. I'm aware that there are some who have had a less than positive experience of mother. and I need to acknowledge that today because for you Mother's Day brings up a whole gamut of other feelings which may include much pain and grief. For those who were abandoned, neglected, for those who became the parentified child and unfortunately in our society today there are many parentified children who took on the role because mother needed to be cared for caring for an irresponsible, immature mother, or one struggling with addictions or mental illness. These are not comforting memories. Others have experienced an abusive mother who was harsh and critical. I have a friend who chose never to have children. She asked me once if I wondered why she had made that choice. Then she told me, childhood was painful for me and I just didn't want to risk inflicting on a child the pain my mother inflicted on me. I was never good enough, and nothing I ever did was perfect enough for her. And she said, how do I ever buy Mother's Day cards when they seem so untruthful? Because she wasn't the best mother in the world, or kind, or loving to me. And I know that my friend, unfortunately, is not alone in this experience. The possibilities of the mother experience are endless and they're very personal to each of us. But whatever our experience today, there is one thing we can all share in common and acknowledge together and that is thankfulness and gratitude that our mother chose life for us and gave us the opportunity to live, to be loved, and to experience God in our lives because that is a precious gift. Today we must not forget those women, as mentioned earlier, who have not been able to bear a child, and they have a deep hole left in their heart. I still have memories of a Mother's Day service, where all the mothers were given a carnation, which is lovely, like the beautiful roses we were given today. But across the aisle from me sat a friend who had recently suffered her second midterm miscarriage, and I could see that tears were rolling down her cheeks and dripping onto her lap. It broke my heart. I went over to her and I gave her my carnation and I told her that she was a mother too, even though her children were in heaven. Her husband came to me later and thanked me for recognizing her pain. That was a hard Mother's Day service to get through because of the unintentional pain it caused. I think of the women who have lost a child to death too soon. And I always think of my Aunt Helena on Mother's Day because her little girl died at 18 months old of viral meningitis. I was 16 at the time, remembered this little child so well, and I always remember Aunt Helena talking about how empty her arms felt after that. Truth is, the role of mothering sometimes seems to be afforded with endless opportunities to fail. Mother's Day and Father's Day, too, can be tough days for those parents who may feel that they've failed, especially if their child has chosen a path or a lifestyle that's hard to accept, or their child leaves the church and doesn't want anything to do with God, or gets involved with the wrong crowd. But God did not get it wrong, I want you to know when he appointed you to be a mother. The role of mothering affords the greatest opportunities for personal transformation. For when a child is born, so too is a mother. So this is not the typical Mother's Day sermon, I know, exalting all the virtues of a perfect mother. But do you really know any perfect mothers? I don't. But I know many, many that I love and respect and admire because they try, and their heart is turned towards their children as the scripture says in Malachi, recognizing them as precious gifts from God. Why have I mentioned that some may not have had a positive mother experience? Because if that is you today, I want to encourage you that God loves you, and that he can heal all those painful memories and your wounded heart. His desire is to restore you in his love. I want also to encourage you to set yourself free by asking God to help you to forgive your mom. And remember, again, there is one thing to be very thankful for, and that is the choice she made to give you life, to give you a chance to live and to know Jesus, to spend eternity with him. In our society today, unfortunately, too many women feel the need to minimize, or apologize, almost, for being mothers and housewives. Such roles, in fact, are noble callings, the most important callings in God's eyes, I'm sure. But they feel a little less because they've chosen to be a mom and stay at home. I like what Christian author Tony Campola wrote about his wife and the mother of his children. Every so often, some high-powered lawyer or sociologist in their social circles would confront his wife with the question, and what is it that you do, dear? Her answer was brilliant. I am socializing two homo sapiens in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the teleologically prescribed utopia inherent in the eschaton. I can hardly say it. (laughs) Let no one diminish your choice to be a mother. And so I think for this morning we need to take a few minutes to look at some biblical mothers as well and identify character traits in each of them. Because there are things that we can learn from their lives. So let the Holy Spirit speak to you today as we look briefly into their lives. There was a mother named Hannah. Her story takes place in the book of 1 Samuel. We are introduced to Hannah as a mother filled with grief. She had a loving, committed husband, Elkanah, who gave her gifts and cared for her and tried to encourage her as she despaired because of her barrenness. It was so painful to her. And her husband's second wife, Peninnah, really didn't help because she taunted her mercilessly about her failure to bear children. Barrenness in the Jewish culture of the time was agonizing and was considered a curse from God, but Hannah persisted praying for many years, deeply grieving and praying specifically for a son. One day she was in the temple praying, and she was praying with such deep despair and anguish that the high priest thought she was drunk. Excuse me. But Hannah persevered, and she persisted praying. And her prayer stirred God's compassion towards her. He granted her a son, and his name was Samuel. Now Hannah, as she prayed, had also made a promise to God that if God granted her prayer, she would surrender this child to his service. We read about the outcome of this promise in 1 Samuel 1, 24-28. After Samuel was weaned, she took the boy with her young as he was, along with the three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord." So what qualities made Hannah a woman who God trusted with this boy, this boy who would grow to serve him, and who in the history of Israel became a judge? She was a woman of prayer, persevering prayer and faith. She was honest with God, before God with all her concerns and her needs, and her requests. She also kept her word to God, and she trusted God with her child's life. The next woman is not well-known mother in the Bible. Paul is speaking in 2 Timothy. He says, I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may, filled with, may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Eunice was Timothy's mother. Both Eunice and his grandmother Lois were Jewish believers who had heard of Christ and accepted him. The faith that was in Timothy was first in his mother and his grandmother, and she had passed on. The stories of Christ had been an example of faith to him as he grew up and instructed him in the things of God. Eunice was also a wise woman. There's no mention of Timothy's father, so we don't know what happened to him. But when the apostle Paul came on the scene, and took Timothy under his wing, she recognized that his role was important and that God had sent him to be a part of her son's life. Timothy needed a father figure and an instructor, and she supported God's leading in her son's life. In Exodus chapter 2, we read the story of a woman named Jochebed and a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. The baby Moses opened his eyes to a very unfriendly world. He was born in a powerful nation, but was of a foreign, oppressed race during the time when all babies, such as him, were under a royal death sentence. nevertheless. Moses had something special in his favor. He was a child of believing parents. Moses was not the firstborn in his family. He had at least an older brother, Aaron, and an older sister, Miriam. And we know these two siblings played roles in God's plan to deliver the Israelite nation from slavery as well. When the Bible says she hid him three months, the mother of Moses did not do this only because of natural parental instinct and wanting to save her child's life. She, along with her husband, did it also out of an act of faith in God. And Hebrews 11 speaks to this. It says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. And that command was given Moses, Pharaoh, gave an order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw in the Nile, but let every girl live. Verses 3 to 6 tell us of Jacob's actions. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister Miriam stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maids to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children." Now, in a literal sense, Moses' mother did exactly what Pharaoh said to do. She put her son in the river. However, she took care to put him in a waterproof basket and strategically floated him in the river. This was a great example of a mother trusting her child's welfare and future to God, and to God alone. When Moses' mother let go of that little boat made of bulrushes, she gave up something very precious. The Nile River had currents, water creatures such as crocodiles even, sharp-beaked birds looking for prey. And it's Egypt. It's incredibly hot. Moses was three months old. What if he got upset and wiggled, tipped over the basket in the river? But Jochebed trusted God and trusted that he would take care of it, and perhaps even find a way to give her baby back to her. And sometimes, as moms, that's all we can do, is trust in God after we've done our part. In God's divine purpose, Pharaoh's daughter found baby Moses. She was conditioned by her culture and upbringing to reject the Hebrews, but the cry of the baby melted her heart. God had this beautifully planned for the deliverance of both Moses and eventually for the people of Israel. He skillfully guided the parents of Moses, the currents of the Nile, and the heart of Pharaoh's daughter to further his plan and his purpose. And remember who Jochebed had standing nearby to watch? His sister Miriam. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew you out of the water. Using both the clever initiative of Moses' mother and the need of Pharaoh's daughter, God arranged a way for Moses to be with his mother. She had the opportunity to train him in his early years, and she even got paid for it. God is so interesting in the way that he does things. Being the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses was in the royal family, but his roots, of course, were Hebrew. There was no doubt that in those early years with his mother, Moses learned of the God of his fathers and realized the Hebrews were his fellow countrymen. So Jochebed was a mother whose courage, her ingenuity, her faith, and trust in God ensured the survival of her son and God's plan for his life and for the people of Israel. Then there is Mary, a mother of Jesus, who at a very young age was a believer in God and submitted her life to his will when a message brought her, was brought to her by an angel. An unbelievable message that said, you will, believe a ch- you will conceive a child by the Holy Spirit. She believed and she submitted. Mary mothered Jesus as any imperfect mother would. And I say imperfect because she wasn't perfect. She loved him. She taught him. But on one occasion, she didn't keep track of where her young boy was. And he went missing. She was frantic to find him, the scripture tells us, not realizing that he was in the temple teaching at a very young age, I think he was about 12 at the time. And he astounded her with his words when he said, did you not know that I have to be about my father's business? Mary didn't understand her son many times. We don't always understand as God shapes our children's lives as well. From the time of Jesus' birth to his death on the cross, there are many things Mary pondered and kept in her heart concerning Jesus. I love the song that is sung by Mark Lowry, and mostly we hear it at Christmas time, and it says, Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I Am. And in the end, at the cross, Mary was there. Broken-hearted, but she was loyal to her son to the end. She could have run away, like most of the other disciples did. She could have pleaded for her son's life, but she didn't. She stood by him as his mother, the role that God had chosen for him, for her. Did she understand all that was taking place that day? No more than the others did, I'm sure. But being there for her son was what was important. God chose Mary knowing this woman would be a mother to his son until the end, steadfast and loyal. So what would mothers bring to us from the Bible today that would be important for us to think about? Firstly, it's important to be a praying mother. Pray for your children and with your children. Maybe no one ever taught you to pray as a child, but the Holy Spirit will guide you into the practice. What matters is that you pray for them and that they hear you praying for them. James Dobson says that when you mention family devotion, sometimes people feel quite uneasy, but take courage and forge into it. Simple morning and bedtime prayers and prayer over your children as they begin their day and go out that door to school is modeling something very important to them. The fact that God is with them every day, everywhere, and at all times. It's an example of practicing faith, committing them to God's care. Praying for your child is also a lifetime practice. No matter their age, we moms never stop praying for them. It's important to teach our children the stories of Jesus and other Bible stories they can understand and also to teach them by living. When you're outdoors, draw your child's attention to the wonder of God's creation, the change in the seasons, the animals, the birds, the trees, the bodies of water, simple little object lessons can create in them a keen awareness of the presence of God around them. Proverbs 31:26 says, "She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue." That's part of what we do as mothers. Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 7 says something important. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I know that it's not always possible for busy families to eat meals together, but over the years I've noticed that. That is something that is really important to attempt at least. Encourage children to be part of the preparation and clean up. It's family time. Start mealtime with thanking the Lord for his provision. Children are great at doing this once the example is set for them, and whatever words they choose to thank God with. I had a niece that used to sing the Johnny Appleseed song every time. (laughs) That's all she knew, but that was fine. That was her way acknowledging and giving thanks to God. So let them choose their words and let them practice being thankful. You are shaping some lifelong habits and gratitude towards God for their provider. Hebrews tells us in 12, my son do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves as he chastens everyone he accepts as his son Endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father and mother? It's the responsibility as mothers and fathers to raise children in a manner so that they will not be self-centered, entitled, lazy, disrespectful, and spiritually bankrupt individuals for the rest of society to endure. God clearly tells us that he disciples us in love. And love is the bottom line in parental discipline too, which is necessary for the development of a child's character. We must recognize that our children are a gift from God, male or female, healthy or disabled, Down syndrome or genius. No matter, every life is precious to God. Encourage your children to be who God created them to be understanding that their personality may be very different from you, and encouraging the development of good character. Jesus loved the little children, and he loves the mothers who reach out to the little children. As a mother figure, you have the privilege of being the best you can be in a child's life. Always remember God has entrusted you with the care and nurture of someone he loves very much but he hasn't left you alone to face the challenges. He is there always. As a mother, God designed you to be a special earthly representation of his loving kindness in a child's life. A godly mother loves the Lord with all her heart, her soul, her mind, and strength, depending on God's love and power rather than her own. So this is your day, mother and you deserve to be honored. I pray that every woman or woman filling the role of a mother in a child's life will be respected and encouraged for their loving efforts, knowing full well that no one will mother perfectly, but that because of your commitment and efforts, you are deeply loved, not just by your family, but by God. And for fathers today, thank you and bless you for being here and all that you do to love and support the mothers in your life. Just before I pray, I'd like to share this little story with you. I'm sure some of you have got some very special gifts from your children today. Some of the younger ones can give the most interesting things. A four-year-old and a six-year-old presented their mom with a beautiful houseplant for Mother's Day. They had used all their own money. They had saved it and she was proud and she was thrilled, but she couldn't help but notice that her six-year-old had a sad expression on his face, so she asked him what was wrong. There was a bouquet in the flower shop we really wanted to buy for you, Mom, but it was too expensive. It was prettier than this one and it had a ribbon on it that we thought you would really like. It said, rest in peace. And we thought it would be perfect for you because you're always asking for a little peace so you can rest. Uh, So let us pray. Father God, we give you thanks for those women who have been our earthly mothers, forgiving them for their failures and being grateful for their commitment to us. We pray for mothers who strive to meet the demands of work, marriage, parenting, balancing these with an honest awareness that this is an important task and they need you to guide and direct them. For mothers who have had no female mother figure in their lives to inform their mothering yet they desire to be good mothers, God may we as the church come alongside, provide support and be invested in this mother's life and her children. For mothers who've stayed in their children's life despite separation or divorce from their partner, we ask that you would bless them. For those mothers whose children are adopted, but they have welcomed them with love into their hearts and their family. For mothers who as stepmothers who have freely chosen the obligation of their role and earned their stepchild's love and respect. For mothers who have lost a child to death and continue to hold that child in their heart. May they find comfort in knowing that they will see them again. For those women who have no children, but cherish the children around them, God bless them. For mothers who've been wounded by the actions and choices of their children, God, I ask that you attend to their broken hearts as only you can. For mothers who realize they were not always there for their children as they were growing up, but who strive to offer their grown children their love and support, God, I ask that you would be the God of second chances in their life. For women who have been mother roles as mentors and guides in the lives of children, whether in the community or in the church, God bless them for investing in the lives of these little ones. For those women who are about to become, or who have recently become mothers, that they might be wholeheartedly invested and delight in their children as gifts from God. Father, I ask your presence with them and your blessing upon them for all these mothers, Lord. Today, we think of them and we hold them dear in our hearts. We thank you for them. Finally, for our mothers who have died but live in our memory, we give you thanks, God. In the name of Jesus, we ask all these things today. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.